Hello and welcome to Bellhaven Podcast. I'm your host, Brent Weber. On today's episode, you will be listening to PSY 203 General Psychology with Professor Mark Hunter. I hope you listen and enjoy. In Unit 4, we're talking about memory, thinking, language, and intelligence. And this first section is something that I think will be applicable, is how do we study? How do we encode memories? And memory is persistence of learning over time when we're able to take information, we call encode it, store it, and retrieve it, get it back later on. So the evidence is pretty, you know, are we able to uh, recall the information or recognize it or relearn it more easily the second time that maybe we've been a while since we noticed the information. There's different types of memory retention and um, so if you've ever taken a uh, fill-in-the-blank test, that's recall, where you have to produce the information just from your memory. If you take it in multiple choice, it's recognition, and you know the answer's there. You just have to recognize which one is the correct. And, um, and relearning is that you've learned a skill or, or information, it's been a while, and then the second time, you've learned it was it took less time than you did the first time. That's evidence of memory retention. And so a basic theory of memory is the uh, three-stage processing model is when we all get sensory input and every place we go we're getting sights, sounds, smells, all this going on at one time. And we have this our senses take all this information in, but we have to f figure out what are we giving our attention to. So, what are we uh, providing? You know, what is unique that we? Uh, so, if you were into um, a room that everyone was wearing a white shirt, and then one person had a red shirt on, that probably is what you get your attention. And so. The, um, a lot of times movie makers will do this, is that they want you to look at a particular character so they'll have them in a different color than the rest of everybody else. So it has your attention. And for a while there, we can uh, take that information and store it and then uh, further go on and do we keep that information later on. Well, the one of the more important parts is the working memory. Working memory is takes information that we're getting at the time and it's the second stage and what do we do with it? So we can usually hold information for about 30 seconds. We're, it's limited. There's just only so much new information we can take in at one time. And how do we manipulate? And sometimes we do this by testing as they, we give people a list of numbers or a list of names. And how many can they uh, they remember or we'll give it to them numbers and we'll ask them to you know, reverse it. So they're taking information and they're processing it. Um, the um, Another types of memory is effortful versus automatic uh, processing. Explicit memory or declarative memory is memory of facts, memory of things that consciously know or declare. This is like things that when you're studying for a test you can have. Uh, implicit or, or non-declarative memory is um, retention of learned skills or 
or classically uh, conditioned associations. So you don't have to learn how to use a, f a knife and fork each day. You've learned that over time. And so those are implicit. Those are things that we're able to do uh, routinely. Um, so automatic processing happens effortlessly. We don't even really think about it. Um, you know, you probably had that experience when you're driving in a car, maybe a long distance, and you don't remember much about the whole trip because it was just your automatic processing was taking care of how you steer and how you brake and how you give it the gas and things. And you don't, it just happens over time. The first time you learned to drive, everything was new. And so you tried to, you know, it was effortful. But a lot of skills develop this way. You know, if you're a musician, you're able to perform without really thinking about where am I going to put my fingers on the guitar or piano. Um, sensory memory is taking that information that we have in our senses and associating it. Like when you smell a freshly baked cookie, what does that remind you of? Does that remind you of, you know, your grandmother's kitchen when you were growing up? Um, and we make associations with smells. Um, Sometimes we have memories that are called iconic, which are uh, picture-based memories. Um, the, um, or do we have um, echoic, which is sound-based memories? So, for example, if you're trying to memorize that, uh, that field on the right there with the, the letters, do you try to do it KZR for the first or something like that? Or do you take actually a picture of it in your brain? and able to do that. And so that's a way uh, to, um, uh, with the a, a, a idea of iconic uh, memory. The, um, but again, short-term memory or working memory does have limitations. It can only hold a few information at a time. So think about it when, you, if your pastor is speaking, um, he or she will often repeat what they've said before just as a way to reemphasize that, you know, I want you to remember this again, hear this again. And we can only remember about five to nine different uh, numbers or pieces of information. I think uh, so um, most people can, you know, it goes around seven, but anywhere between five and nine. So, um, and anytime there's more distractions such as cell phones or radios or anything else, that limits our ability to uh, our storage capacity and our working memory. There's different ways to help. Sometimes instead of remembering whole strings of th individual things, you remember them in chunks. Um, you know, instead of saying 3612, I may say 3612 something. Same information, but I just brought it into some chunks. Sometimes memory aids we are used to way to have a, um, uh, like if you were trying to remember the names of the Great Lakes, uh, Holmes, Huron, Ontario, Michigan, Erie, um, and Superior. And so if you ask me, you know, what the Great Lakes were, I'd have to go to that, um, that memory device and able to do that. Um, Sometimes we take information and we process it kind of shallowly. We just kind of at a very basic level. And uh, we just kind of give it a skim once over. But then, you know, learning in college requires deep processing, meaning that you'll have to maybe listen to this video a few times. You'll have to read your text a few times before it really starts making a difference. Um, the um, 
And we found that new information is able to be remembered when it's related to something we know before, if it's meaningful in some way. Um, so if you can connect uh, an illustration or something to, that, to your audience, your students, so they go, yeah, I understand what that means. Uh, it's, you're able to uh, keep that memory a lot longer. Um, and anytime that we can relate something to ourselves, the memory tends to stay longer as well. How do we get that memory? We've, we've, uh, we've understand now, how do we store it and how do we retrieve it? So um, our capacity for long-term memory is essentially limitless. We, you know, it's just like we have a big hard drive on our computer that we can never quite fill up. Um, but the idea is that the, our information is there, is how do we get that? How do we find it? You know, you've had things in your attic or closet, and you know they're there, but you don't remember where you put them. And sometimes our memory works that way as well. Um, so we don't store them in files like we do on a computer or in a filing cabinet. Um, we make associations, and different areas of the brain are making associations that this reminds me of this, and this connects me to this. And it goes throughout the whole brain. It's not just in one location that a memory is stored. Um, so um, some things that, uh, so it, 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 it's very complex, and it's not exactly a one-on-one -on -one analogy. Um, Sometimes we have memory of what we call semantic or facts and general knowledge. Again, sort of like what we've done in, on a test or something. Some is remember episodes and personal experience. You know, you may remember your, um, the first date with someone that you're married to or that moment that your child was born. You know, you may not remember um, the next day, but you remember those real valuable moments that have uh, an impact, and that's called episodic memory. And the hippocampus is an area of the brain that really uh, helps out and stores these memories as well. And um, so, but again, our brain works in conjunction with one another, different parts to bring this about. Um, sometimes stress or hormone production uh, provokes emotions that are um, um, related to memory. Uh, occasionally you'll see this if somebody has lost a loved one and they will uh, hear a song or something that reminds them of that loved one and they'll start to cry and it's not the song it's the memory associated with the song. So and you know you may not even know why am I crying at this time but you start thinking about it oh yeah that was the, one of their favorite songs. So um, Sometimes we have these flashbulb moments. We just think of something all of a sudden, and you know that was kind of random. And why did we think of that? Uh, but it, it, there's some sort of trigger that brings those about. Um, and again, the the key memory structures of the brain are shown here, and you can spend some time looking at that. Um, so we have uh, automatic. Uh, memory, you know, things that we don't have to think about, we can do without effort, and you know, it just happens if you played an instrument a long time, you're able to play it again, um, and this shows where it takes place, and then effortful 
memory. And this takes place in the hippocampus and our frontal lobes uh, right behind our forehead where we have to start, you know, learning how the general areas of psychology and, and whatever subjects you're studying. Um, so again, memories are connected through associations and um, finding that retrieval point, finding that thing that starts that series of events that brings that memory. Um, sometimes we can best learn something is by um, recall something is by we learn it at the same location that we're going to like take a test um, or the same conditions that we're supposed to retrieve it we try to replicate that when we're studying for it uh, so that helps associate that place or time or or whatever and um, to that recall that memory um, you know, you've, you may have heard uh, of priming is when you just kind of give a, a clue or something like that that brings that just enough to nudge you toward that memory. Um, and so those are words where you start making associations between that, that primer and then the, the memory itself. Um, some things we remember in the context in which we learned them originally. Um, so again, you know, if you're able to, especially if you're learning for, for school or, or things like that, trying to learn something and then the way that you take a test, trying to keep that as similar as possible can help you uh, replicate those conditions. Uh, sometimes our emotions, a state that we're in, a feeling has an impact on memory retrieval. That what kind of mood we're in and, you know, uh, what kind of passions do we have associated with those memories? Um, we all forget, and so um, an area of this is called amnesia. Another form of in the, the inability to form new memories is called anterior grade amnesia, but failing to remember what's happened in the past is retrograde amnesia. And so um, forgetting can occur in any stage of our memory storage system and it has to progress through it. So if it didn't get the attention it needed, that's one of the reasons we forget it because we never really had the attention. So um, for something to be a long-term memory, as you can see on the right side here of the diagram, there's lots of stages it has to get through to an ability to remember uh, something that has a, something of value. And most of the time we filter out things that are unimportant you know, things that we don't tend to use. Um, again, much of what we sense, we don't notice. And so if we never noticed it to begin with, we never encoded it, we can't retrieve it. So um, one of the interesting uh, bits of information is Ebbinghaus' forgetting curve is, so if we, if you're studying something on uh, one day and by, just by hearing a lecture, for example, and you go to class and you hear a lecture, and by the, the next day, um, you've gone from 60% retention, which is what we kind of consider passing, down to about 30. And every day that you, what, you uh, don't remember something or don't rehearse or try to relearn it, 
your the curve goes down. So that's like if you were able to, uh, instead of reading your assignment just one day, reading a bit of them uh, each day and reviewing what you've read will help you with your long-term memory. Uh, sometimes we have um, interference with it, and again, by you know what's going on in the background, what's preventing uh, the information from going in. Uh, sometimes we want to forget something. Sigmund Freud talked a lot about um, you know what we call uh, repressed memories, where things that are painful we don't want to remember. Um, sometimes we recall things and it's incorrect. And so that's um, uh, used a lot of times in like eyewitness recounts. And people will say, I saw this. And different people will have a different recall, a different memory of the event. And um, a lot of times you can persuade someone in their memory by seeing like an actual car crash there. But if the lawyer was asking you, was how fast were the cars going when they smashed into each other versus when they bumped into each other. Um, if you say smashed, the speed will usually go be higher than if you said bumped. Um, false memories are things that we thought we really remember but really aren't and maybe they've been because we've been influenced by others. Uh, the, um, we didn't see things correctly. Maybe someone's implied that we remembered something that we really haven't. Um, and so we have to be real careful with child recalls of events that happened many years in the past. And, um, and so there's, just because a child says it doesn't mean it actually happened. And sometimes just the way that the questions are asked can be, uh, can affect the way that the information is recalled.